Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at ElevatePod.com. In this guide, created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at ElevatePod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here, and I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with Paul Moore. My amazing friend Paul Moore is here once again, and uh, it's been almost two years since Paul sat down with me on the podcast, and today you're going to learn about self-storage mastery. You're going to learn about so many things today, and I want to tell you that uh, you're really going to dive into understanding not only the power of self-storage, the case for self-storage, but also strategies for self-storage investing success. You're also going to learn about commercial real estate mastery and the seven paths that you can take to achieving commercial real estate mastery and building an empire in commercial real estate. Uh, you're going to learn so, so much today. You're also going to learn about applying wisdom from other disciplines and industries in terms of taking your investments to the next level in real estate. So I'm really excited about this episode. I want to encourage you to buckle up. I want to thank you so much for being here. And uh, I'm going to pour into you today. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. And uh, before we dive into this episode, I want to first thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening, for watching Elevate Podcast. We want to continue to dive in and pour massive value into your cup so that you can take your life, your business, your investing, your money, your lifestyle, your freedom to the next level. So thank you for being here. The fee for being here is to pay it forward. Share this episode with a friend. If you've already done that in the past, Thank you from the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of my team's heart. We really appreciate that. We want to ask and invite you to pay that fee again today. That's just to share it with one person. The only way that we can grow is by earning the value of your introductions. And I have to tell you that this is working so well and we are so grateful. We have had record months, record growth in our audience over the past few months. And, uh, you know, this past month, the month before, they've continued to break records. And it, it all comes down to, the introductions that you have made on our behalf. And I just want to thank you so much for that, because um, the only way that we can continue to do this is if we grow. And uh, you are really a part of that. And Elevate Nation, you are a part of Elevate Nation. And this is a movement. And I, I really, really feel so strongly about this movement. And I think that there's no limit to what we can do, what we will do together, what we are doing together. So I'm so thankful for that. So go ahead and share this episode. Just grab the link, put it on social media, or send in a text message or an email, or just tell someone to look up Elevate Podcast with Tyler Chesser if they want to take their life, their business to the next level from a mindset, from a mind expansion, from a personal development perspective, uh, of course, from a real estate investing perspective, 
this is the show for them. So thank you so much for helping us spread that word. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for all of you who have left us a rating and a review. And if you have not done so already, please, that also helps us very, very much. If you can spend 10 to 20 seconds of giving us a rating and review, it's so important. And in fact, I read every single review. So again, thank you. And let's dive in. I want to introduce you to the amazing Paul Moore, who after a stint at Ford Motor Company, Paul co-founded a staffing firm where he was a two-time finalist for Michigan Entrepreneur of the Year. After selling to a publicly traded firm, Paul began investing in real estate. He founded multiple investment and development companies. He appeared on HGTV and completed over 100 commercial and residential investments and exits. He has contributed to Fox Business, the Real Estate Guys Radio, and is a regular contributor to Bigger Pockets, producing live video and blog content. Paul also co-hosted a wealth building podcast called How to Lose Money, and he's been featured He's been a featured guest on over 200 podcasts. In fact, this is twice the second time on Elevate Podcast. The first appearance was episode 33, Trusting the Process with Paul Moore. Paul is a three-time real estate author and Bigger Pockets recently published his new book called Storing Up Profits, Capitalize on America's Obsession with Stuff by Investing in Self-Storage. And we're going to talk so much about that today. I'm excited about this. Paul is the founder and managing partner of Wellings Capital, a real estate private equity firm. Wellings Capital designates a portion of its profits to thwart human trafficking and rescue its victims. And you're going to get a huge clue into the purpose behind that today and how you can apply that yourself. So without further ado, please enjoy this awesome, insightful conversation with Paul Moore. Paul Moore, welcome back to Elevate, my friend. How are you? Great to be here, Tyler. I'm doing great. Man, what an honor to be on your show again. I know. It was funny. I was just talking to you uh, right before we started recording. And it's so wild because episode 33 of Elevate Podcast was the first time we had the pleasure of speaking together, you know, on air. And of course, we've been friends for years and really admire what you've done in the business and just personally and in your cause and your mission. Um, but I, I definitely invite the listeners to go back and check out episode 33, which is actually the title is Trusting the Process with Paul Moore. And there's really so much that we went into in terms of understanding your story, understanding your philosophy, your purpose behind what you do, what you do. So definitely invite the listener to do that. But Paul, welcome back, man. How have things been going, man? It's been almost two years. In fact, that episode released on March 10th, 2020, which is, in my opinion, a little bit of an infamous day. It's almost the day before when many things started happening in terms of the pandemic, a lot of shutdowns and that kind of stuff. So it was interesting. It was a different world. It was a different reality. So how have things been going for you since? Well, um, yeah, we've we've been doing more of the same. Uh, just as a reminder to anybody, Wellings Capital is not an operator. We do not. We decided we didn't have the acquisition team and the operations team that people like you do, Tyler. And so, and we did not want to do ground up development, although I've done that before with multifamily. So we decided our best role in the world was to be a sort of a middleman in the sense that we are a due diligence partner for our investors. So we have a little over 500 uh, accredited investors right now. And uh, those investors are looking to us to find the very best sponsors and deals and vet them carefully. And um, so that's that's what we do. Uh, we When we talked last, we were doing self-storage and mobile home parks. We still are. We've added a little bit of multifamily, a little bit of light industrial, and we're strongly considering RV parks 
Um, however, we have to, you know, vet the right sponsor for that, or we'll never do that asset class or any other. Um, how has it been? Uh, you know, I mean, who would have thought? So I was a little frustrated, to be honest. So I've contracted with my friends at Bigger Pockets, where I spend a lot of my time um, to do a book. And then the book was finished well before COVID. And then COVID hit and it slowed down the release of the book. In fact, the book just came out in November and it's about self-storage, but providentially, I'd say, um, self-storage was in the headlines right when the book came out. Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Green Street Advisors, everybody was talking about how the surprising hero of um, COVID and since COVID was self-storage. And so I think the timing couldn't have worked out better. Yeah. And the book is called Storing Up Profits, Capitalizing on America's Obsession with Stuff by Investing in Self-Storage, which I think is obviously interesting. We have to understand patterns and trends and consumption and behavior uh, to be able to make effective investing decisions. So I really love the subtitle there. But, you know, thinking about that, it's interesting, the timing of the release. And when you think of all of the things that have changed, there are some things that have remained the same, and that is consumption. And that is an obsession with stuff. So talk to me a little bit about the case for self storage. I know we're going to talk a lot about strategy in commercial real estate investing in general. But let's hope let's hone in and focus on self storage to start because I know many investors, like me at times can get frustrated in terms of certain asset classes due to the the high level of competition. And I think one of the things that you found in self storage over the years is that different from residential or even multifamily, there's a little bit more of an open playing field. Uh, obviously, that that probably is changing, I would imagine, in many regards as well as it gets more and more mature. But give me a sense of the the case for self-storage. Get, you know, if you were to convince someone to say, hey, what, why should they be spending their time in this asset class? What would that be? Tyler, when someone first mentioned value adds and self-storage to me, I think I muted the phone and laughed because I thought, what kind of value adds could there be? I mean, we're talking about four pieces of sheet metal, uh, some rivets, a floor and a door. How are you going to upgrade that? You know, uh, I mean, you're, what are you going to do? Sweep it out? Yeah. Between tenants, that's what we do. We sweep them out. And so I was shocked and had no idea when I learned all the value adds in self-storage, I was amazed. And we'll get into that a little bit. But my favorite thing about self-storage is the percentage of mom and pop operators. There are about 53,000 self-storage facilities in the US. That's the same as Subway, McDonald's, Starbucks combined. But about 75% are independent operators and two out of every three of those are mom and pops defined by me as having one asset only. Now, that doesn't mean they're bad operators. They could be great, but let's face it. A lot of mom and pop operators don't have the knowledge, the desire, or the skills to upgrade their facility, to increase income and maximize value for them and their investors. Hey, let's be honest. They don't need to because cap rates have compressed by about 50%, meaning from something like a 10 cap to something like a 5% cap rate over the last year since the Great Recession. And so they've doubled the value. They know their value because they're getting offers all the time. They sort of doubled in value over the last you know, several years. And they did that by doing nothing at all. And in many cases, 
They did that by remaining mediocre, which just thrills me as a potential investor because a professional operator can buy one of these facilities, go in, pay them a fair price, sometimes even a top dollar price, uh, but then go in and make upgrades, do value adds, extract intrinsic value, which we can get into later if you want, and basically return incredible, and I mean literally incredible profits to their investors and themselves. And there's, like I said, there's still thousands of these mom and pops out there. I mean, you could even argue up to maybe 20,000, 25,000 in the US that have this meat on the bone. And honestly, that's one of the things I love about self-storage. Another thing I love is this idea of the low cost versus uh, other assets. I mean, if I am renting a multifamily apartment in Louisville and I'm paying you $1,000 a month for it, you raise my rent by 6%, eh, I might think twice before I pay 60 more bucks a month or $720 a year since I'm committing to a year. But with self-storage, eh, I'm only committing month to month. And if you raise my $100 unit by 6%, I'm probably not going to spend a weekend, get my friends together, rent a U-Haul just to move my junk. I mean, excuse me, my treasures down the street just to save six bucks a month, especially when that guy down the road can raise his by six bucks next month as well. And so we, these are some of the things we love about self-storage. I'll tell you that a lot of folks, a lot of the tenants actually stay on even among, you know, in the midst of dozens of rate increases. And I mean, literally that, uh, because I mean, a self-storage operator, this is one of the things we love is it captures inflation. You can raise the rents every month if you choose to. Um, and the tenants can leave, but they usually don't. We talked to one operator, excuse me, one investor who said he forgot he even had a self-storage unit for like seven years. And it was just coming right off of his credit card. And it was such a small amount. He didn't care or no, but uh, yeah, there is a high switching cost. There is a propensity to stay. And the COVID eviction moratoriums didn't affect self-storage because unlike some asset types, um, there is no residential component to this. Nobody lives there. At least they're not supposed to. And uh, the, uh, <laughs> but uh, seriously, the um, uh, it's it's the eviction moratorium didn't apply to self storage. So talk to me about the you know the operators that you work with. Obviously, you work with some of the top self storage operators across the country um, who are sourcing those opportunities, who are implementing business plans. We talked about value add strategies a bit. I do want to dive into that uh, a little bit further. But before we do that, well, talk to me about sourcing these deals, because you mentioned a very high percentage of these properties and, and you even reference 53 or 54,000 of these facilities across the country. And so you, you look at that total swath of inventory and then a high percentage of those are owned by mom and pop operators who maybe aren't uh, maximizing the value or implementing maybe the most cutting edge uh, business plans or strategies in today's market, which creates value for 
a new investor. So talk to me about sourcing those deals first. How are you finding the opportunities? How are they getting in touch with mom and pops and convincing you know them to, to sell? What are the strategies that you've seen have worked best from some of your top partners that you've worked with? Yeah, so the partners we work with, to answer your question, uh, they have years and hopefully decades in the uh, business or they have people on staff who do. Uh, they've got the great, a great team, great track record, great technology. Uh, they've got, you know, they've got clear background checks, criminal checks. They have skin in the game. I mean, there's a lot more. We have like a 28 point checklist we go through and we are in the habit of saying no uh, almost every time, to be honest. The acquisition strategies they use are similar to what I've seen in multifamily and other asset types. Many of us dream of doing this, but very few people do it well, if at all. One of our operators has a team of seven people who sit in a big, like you could say, bullpen, and they are all emailing, texting, and calling operators seven, you know, five days a week eight hours a day, and they're trying to source deals that way. And so based on the number of uh, operators that are out there that are targets and based on the number of people in that staff, they can call potentially some of the best uh, targets up to four times a year, about once a quarter. In fact, uh, they called one guy at 90, he was 88 years old, and um, he said, nope, he didn't want to sell. And they called him every quarter for seven years. When he turned around 95, his niece called them and said, hey, we're with my uncle here. He's finally ready to sell this large you know, facility. Um, is the price you offered like two years ago still good? And my operator friend said, uh, well, that's kind of low now. Do you want more? And she said, nah, he doesn't need any more money. We'll take it. And so uh, they closed on a really large deal in Michigan that way. Now I'm thinking that because they were top of mind, because they followed up four times a year, because the guy, my operator friend got on the plane the next day to fly out and meet them. I'm thinking that they got an edge over brokers and other people looking for those deals. So that's my favorite strategy. My second is one of our operators sends a guy uh, on the road about 50 weeks a year. He'll land in a place like Louisville or Lexington, and then he'll scout out all the self-storage facilities that he can find, uh, some not even you know listed, they say at least. Um, and, um, he'll scout every one of those out and he'll try to visit them in person the whole week. And then he'll get back on a plane the next week and go to Charlotte or somewhere else. And so, and they're usually generally concentrating those efforts in about eight States, but that's another, again, very, very manual, a lot of shoe leather, uh, a lot of effort, but a very, very high payoff. I always love um, listening to folks like yourself share those type of insights because, you know, deal sourcing, you know, everybody's looking for the quick fix or the easy fix or, hey, what what uh, marketing technique or button can I add to my website that's going to just pour in deals to, you know, to my pipeline? And that's just not the reality. I mean, it comes down to the old fashioned having conversations, building rapport, building trust 
and understanding, you know, goals and outcomes and what are you looking to accomplish? Hey, you may not be looking to exit this property. This property may be really supporting you and your family. And, and maybe this mom and pop may not be looking to maximize the sale. But after a long period of time of building that relationship, perhaps over years that comes back and, and that results into a new acquisition. So that's really, really insightful. I appreciate you sharing that. And also just, it just reminds me, it's just how resourceful can you get, right? As an investor, it's like, you know, having a team that's calling constantly, having individuals who are in the field constantly and, and shaking hands, kissing babies and so forth. I think that's awesome. But when you think about now making those acquisitions from a self-storage asset class perspective and you say, all right, well, we found meat on the bone. Give me a first an example of what meat on the bone do you look for and maybe some strategies that you've seen work really well in terms of adding or repositioning assets or tremendously adding value. And, and our primary question, by the way, at our company is, does this increase NOI? And a lot of times, you know, you see cap rate compression, that's more so luck in terms of growing value of an asset. But when I would imagine you and your partners, you're looking to increase NOI. So give me a sense of what are you looking for in terms of opportunities for value add? And then give us yeah. some examples of what uh, implementation looks like. Yeah, absolutely. So let me quickly um, give you a quick list of some potential value adds. I like to call this intrinsic value extraction because some of these things, I mean, they're just right there in front of the current operator and they don't do it. And so here's an example. Uh, one operator had, uh, you know, he, he's selling his facility, let's say it's 350 units. And he goes, oh, by the way, I'm just throwing in the six acres that's part of this. It's not good for anything. We haven't done anything with it. Oh, really? Okay, thank you. So here's some things you can do with six acres. Number one, you can incrementally pave or gravel the land and use it for boat and RV storage. Huge demand for boat and RV storage right now, as most of us know. Again, Another part of the pandemic, you know, what is RV? I haven't heard the actual number, but I've heard RV sales have gone up six or 700% since the pandemic. So that's a big one. Another one is uh, renting billboard space. Another one would be putting a cell tower on the land. Uh, another one would be putting a propane filling station. Or how about an, one of the independent ATMs? I've seen that done. And so these are some of the things you can do with that extra land or just the obvious thing. And that is build more storage, build a beautiful climate controlled self-storage facility in front of your current tired mom and pop units. And, you know, again, the land is effectually free because you've already paid for the facility, which is, you know, we know the math on that. It's based on the current income divided by the cap rate, just like multifamily. Um, other things you can do, you can add a showroom or use uh, the current showroom to sell locks, boxes, tape, scissors, you know, retail items. You can upgrade, you know, you can upsell the clients. You can, you know, in the nice comfort of a showroom, you can show them why you, they might like a corner unit or a first floor unit if it's a multi-story facility. A big value add that I'd like to take you through the math on is adding U-Haul. U-Haul, unlike some of these things, has no capital expense involved, or it doesn't need to at least. So if you've got the space out in front of your facility, you can sometimes contract with U-Haul 
and get a commission letting them rent their trucks out of your facility. Now you have to pay like $1,000 for their computer terminal. Uh, and you might have to gravel a little more land out front or pave it, but you can lease U-Hauls out of your facility. If you've already got a staff person working there anyway, uh, they can take care of sweeping out the trucks and checking out the next uh, tenant or next renter, I should say. But the commission on these can be anywhere from one to $5,000 a month. And I mean, I've got a, a friend in Rockledge, Florida, uh, who gets $5,000 a month for his U-Haul commission. So let's do the math on this. Let's say you bought a small to mid-sized self-storage facility for $2 million. And that would be maybe a, a 350 unit facility, just as an example, uh, 35,000 square feet. So you pay $2 million for that. Let's say that's a million in debt and a million in equity, just to make the math easy. Now, um, let's say you add U-Haul at $3,000 a month. $3,000 a month is $36,000 a year. And $36,000 a year divided into, you know, using our value formula, 36,000 divided by, a, let's say, a 6% cap rate, that's 0 0.06, is an additional uh, value add to the property of 600,000. Wait a minute. What I just said is you can actually add 60% to the value of the equity, which is 30% of the value of the facility, just by contracting with U-Haul and starting to rent trucks. That's without years of hard work. That's without rent increases. That's without all the other stuff I just talked about. And so you add rent increases onto that, I'm talking to a guy in your area right now who says he hasn't raised rents in six years of owning his self-storage facility. He said that um, the lady running the facility right now is pregnant, so he decided to sell. Well, that sounds like a classic mom and pop. And you know, nothing against the guy. He's going to make a profit. But what a great opportunity for someone else to come in, raise the rents by maybe 25%. I mean, you raise the rents by 25%, that alone is going to increase the value under our scenario here of over, well over 50%. Think about that. You can raise you can raise your equity value by 50% or more by raising the rents to market levels. That's not that uncommon. And there's more. Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities, are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. That's amazing. 
And uh, it feels like the the opportunities are endless here. I mean, you, you think about just like the U-Haul example. I mean, such minimal effort required and you just plug it in and you talk about just such a substantial increase in value, right. just low hanging fruit all over the place. It's a, it's an exciting asset class in many different capacities. Talk to me about um, management because that's obviously much different than many other asset classes. And it's very unique because it's more of running a business and obviously managing real estate. So give us a sense of what that really looks like, Paul. Yeah. When I wrote my book, um, I was strongly biased toward having on-site management and I still am because you can do U-Haul, you can do locks, boxes, tape, scissors, upsell, sell insurance, all kinds of things that are harder if you're just doing an automated program. However, um, well, I, I will say too, that the, the size break point where it makes sense to have a full-time staff person or not is generally the amount I said earlier, which would be about 300, 350 units, maybe 35,000 square feet um, of self-storage. Uh, of course, that could be, you know, it could be better than that in an urban location. Like if you have a really uh, high rent district in an urban location, I, I have a friend right now converting a warehouse um, in near Boston to a self-storage facility. And of course, he'll be larger than that size, but if he was smaller, it still might work to have a full-time person. What I didn't do well in my book was cover the automate, the case for automation or full automation, I should say. Uh, we covered it. I think I covered on like three pages or something, you know, where we talked about, hey, here's a way you can do this without having any staff person and maybe just having a maintenance person on call. Uh, somebody I talked to, said that they have a central hub with one employee in it and she's got all the security monitors and all the other monitors going for 12 facilities and she's sitting in Birmingham or something and these facilities are spread out over like one or two states and so he says you know that that automated model works much better I questioned him on the U-Haul and all that and he said yeah we leave that money on the table we don't get those you know extra retail items, but we save enough on the management that it makes a ton of sense. And if you're doing small facilities, that really does make sense. It used to be that you had to spend like 30 or 35,000 to get this really nice high tech kiosk to let people in. And some of them even had a lock in the kiosk. They could buy the lock right there. But now people can just use their iPhones or their smartphones and they can just you know, get a gate code that's unique to them every time they go in. And honestly, um, it's, you know, it works much, much better than it used to. And so that's, a, there's a great case for automation. I think it's helpful for investors to understand sort of what are the opportunities to add value? What are the opportunities to implement a business plan to, you know, reposition an asset? Also thinking about deal sourcing, what does the entire marketplace look like? Who are my sellers? Who are my targets? You know, as we were talking about deal sourcing earlier, but you've mentioned for the four D's of self storage, downsizing, dislocation, death, and divorce. And I would imagine these are life events that you've found to be useful for sourcing opportunities. So could you just speak to that just briefly? And then I want to go into self storage mastery because you've talked about seven paths to self storage and commercial real estate investing mastery. So we'll table that, but talk to me about the four D's of self-storage before we get there. Yeah. You know, um, and when times are good, Tyler, 
people are filling up their Walmart carts and their Amazon carts, and they need self-storage to store their extra stuff. When times are bad, times like COVID, you've got, you know, these four super unfortunate events, and that's downsizing, death, dislocation, and divorce. And so COVID has driven a lot of that, not honestly as much death as, you know, we originally thought on March 10th, 2020, when we last talked, let's be honest, there has been some of that. There's also been some stress in families. There's been, unfortunately, some divorce, but there's also been some dislocation. Let's, let's focus on that. Dislocation might look like a restaurant or bar closing down and they need a place to store their stuff. It might look like an office downsizing. And this is happening all over the place. As we know, people are working from home or relocating and they are downsizing offices. Well, those offices, sometimes those companies need a place to store their stuff. It could look like people moving. You know, they might move from someplace like Chicago or New York or LA to a place like Louisville or Charlotte or Florida, or Texas, or Utah, or Arizona. And so when they do that, they need a place to store their stuff when they're in that move. And it's very, very common for these folks to use self-storage. And this is one of the reasons self-storage has just exploded during the uh, COVID and post-COVID timeframes. Um, and, and, and again, these are usually unfortunate situations, but for those people who are relocating to Florida, or Louisville, I'm sure they doesn't feel unfortunate at all to them as they're getting to live out their dream and live on their lakefront property or whatever for a fraction of Manhattan prices. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I think understanding patterns is is so critical to be successful as an investor. And ultimately, it, it does come down to adding value. If you're adding value to your consumer, to your tenant, then you're going to receive more value. So talk to me. This is something that I'm super excited to talk to you about. It's about the seven paths to mastery in investing in commercial real estate, whether it's self-storage or many other asset classes, any other asset classes, in fact. So I want to I want to dive into your thinking here. So where would you like to start and uh, give us a sense of what this all means? Yeah. So I actually proposed a book to uh, Bigger Pockets uh, quite a while ago about uh, seven paths to uh, mastery or to even get involved in commercial real estate because so many people want to get involved in commercial real estate, but they don't know how. They don't know where to start. And so I actually, I got turned down for that book, man, but bigger pockets actually allowed me to tack that book on to my current book, storing up profits, storing up. Pro I'm just kidding. That was a joke. You can cut that out. But seriously, um, uh, the last third of the book is all about seven paths to get involved in commercial real estate. And so uh, these seven paths, I'll just briefly review them. And then you can ask me to dive deeper into any that you want. But the first one, some people call stacking. I don't think that's the right word, but basically it would mean starting uh, small and then basically renovating, renting at a higher rate, increasing the income, and then sometimes refinancing, but usually selling to maximize the amount of equity you have to do with your next deal. And you get rid of that hundred unit sell storage or whatever you have, and you go up to the next asset. 
that would be, again, uh, I, I know a guy in Dallas who started out with literally $1,000 in 1993. He bought a duplex. And he, when I met him, he was selling his 132-unit multifamily for $11 million and going up to a $15 million deal. So he, it, it's a long and winding path, but it is certainly possible. And he's obviously going to retire. Uh, he was already in his 60s when I met him. He's going to retire with a massive amount of uh, fortune from this you know, stair-stepping strategy. Let's call it that. Second strategy would be a capital raiser. And that would be raising money for other people's deals. Let other people do the heavy lifting. You raise capital for them. Warning, as you know, Tyler, there's huge SEC uh, potential risk with doing this. So you got to really, really find out, you know, what the rules are, become a broker dealer or a general partner in the deal. And don't do a wink and a nod general partner. I mean, you need to really be a general partner in the deal. Uh, third, or, or you can do it differently. You can do it for a flat fee or no fee just to get your foot in the door with that operator. But I haven't seen anybody do that well. Um, third strategy would be to do something that you and I are familiar with from our past in uh, as real estate brokers, and that would be to be a deal finder. Now, a deal finder is somebody who goes out and they do that acquisition strategy I mentioned 15 minutes ago, and they find the very best deals and they analyze those deals and then they present those to an operator and they say, hey, here's, I found this deal. Uh, I'm making an offer on it. And then we're going to put you and them together. And so it's not exactly wholesaling, although it could be wholesaling. I've wholesaled about an average of a deal a year uh, on the side. Uh, and that's fun. But a deal finder in the sense that I'm thinking of is somebody who actually wants to get involved in the business. They want to work their way in to the operation. They find the deal. They keep a piece of ownership rather than a real estate commission. And then they stay involved for years. And that way they make themselves valuable to the owner. And when they make themselves valuable to the owner, they can actually, you know, hopefully become a partner someday or start their own partnership. Uh, the fifth path would be one that's not very relevant to many people. If you won the lottery, if you retired from the NFL, if you've got family money or you inherited money or you made a lot of money in crypto, why am I guessing that's you, Tyler? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously, you've got millions of dollars and you want to get in, you can just start out big. Like you just go big from day one. And there are people who've done that. Um, my advice to you, if you do that, would be to get a great team of experienced people around you and really rely heavily on them. Path number six, well, that, that was path, let's see, that was path four. Path number five is get a job. Now you might think, wait a minute, I'm listening to Tyler's podcast so I can get out of my job, so I can say goodbye to the man. Getting a job, though, is something you may want to consider. I have a friend who actually had a well-paying job as a residential mortgage broker, but he actually took a 50% pay cut to become a property manager of a self-storage facility. And the reason he did that was he wanted to learn the business. He wanted to know all the terms. He wanted to know the ins and outs. He wanted to understand the software. And he wanted to be knowledgeable when he went out to buy his own facility. And so this is a potential path for some people, especially younger people, you know, look, you might want to become a mortgage, a, a, like a commercial mortgage broker. 
uh, a commercial, you might want to become a commercial broker. You might want to become a specifically a self-storage or multifamily or mobile home park broker and really get you know into the weeds there. You might want to become an asset manager, or you might even do, you know, like you might do social media for a self-storage company and then work your way in that way. So there's lots of jobs you can get in a lot of different, you know, types of asset classes. A sixth path would be one of my favorites, and that's taking the passive path. Now, we all know, those of us in the business at least, know how hard it is to really run a commercial real estate asset, like a large multifamily or a large self-storage. And it's probably not something that most people who are enjoying their life, their family, their retirement, or making you know career moves in their job are going to want to do on the side. I mean, that's a recipe for being a mom and pop or worse. And so... I actually recommend that people who really want to get into the business, if they've already got a full-time gig, man, they just find a great operator like you guys uh, and invest with you or invest with somebody, you know, you really feel comfortable with. It's got your best interests at heart. If you want to take that path, I'd highly recommend getting Brian Burke's book, The Hands-Off Investor, which is a bigger pockets book which will uh, you know, teach you to vet syndicators. One thing I love about this book is it's written straight to the LP investor and it teaches you how to find the very best operators and deals. The last path is find a mentor or an unpaid, or excuse me, a paid coach. And so a mentor would typically be somebody locally you could go in or maybe somebody you know non-locally that you could do a lot of work for in exchange for them teaching you their business. So, I mean, if you know social media really well or Excel, or uh, you can do, you know, financial analysis, or you can uh, do SEO for someone's website, uh, you might be able to find a mentor who will teach you the business in exchange for you doing that work for them. And eventually, maybe they'll bring you on as a, a partner or let you partner on an individual deal. A paid coach is similar to that, but you're actually, you know, paying them obviously a, a nice fee up front, sometimes a nice monthly fee as well. The benefit of the paid coach is you can dramatically accelerate your learning. You have the accountability of being in this program. You've paid a lot of money, typically fifty dollars or $25,000 up front. And now you're going to hopefully do the work, hopefully do the assignments they give you. And if you do really well, you can potentially do one of the other paths with them afterward. For example, you could do that stair-step method with them, or you could raise capital for them. You could be a deal finder for them. These are some of the things you could do with a paid coach. And so these are some of the, uh, to me, those last two paths are most relevant for the most people but I like all seven. I really love it. And I think you've done such a great service of kind of putting and packaging all of these different paths together so that people can understand, you know, look, yes, you may find yourself fitting in one path and that may be your trajectory, or you might find yourself in several different paths or might you might find yourself evolving from one path to the next as you continue to grow as an investor yourself. And in my opinion, you know, we should never stop learning. We should never stop evolving. We should never stop changing. And I think really what you've just described there is it kind of gives us the vantage point of, hey, what works best for you? And at the end of the day, it's all about outcomes. What is it that you're looking to accomplish? And we can reverse 
reverse engineer our outcomes by then designing a strategy. And you've designed, you, you've really described those strategies that can be designed in, in so many different capacities. And it resonates with me in a big way. I mean, I got started, as you mentioned, it, I didn't know that actually, it sounds like you may have started similarly in the business as a commercial real estate broker as well. And it was almost an apprenticeship in many ways for me to learn the business, to learn the language, to learn transactions, to learn the players, to learn, you know, what makes a good deal, a good deal, what makes a bad deal, a bad deal and how to, you know, be resourceful and, you know, solve problems and find opportunities and learn from people who are doing this and have been doing it for a long time. But there's so many different ways that you can dive into this business and you can evolve and become the next version of yourself. And, you know, that next version of the investment you know, investor that you want to become. So I just think that's really, really amazing. But would you agree that for many folks, it resonates with them where they, they may be on several different paths at one time? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You could be a capital raiser again, legitimately, hopefully uh, a deal finder. And you could even have a job at the same time. I've seen commercial brokers who are actually trying to, you know, some of the deals, they don't fit that brokerage's model. They're too small. Well, they can wholesale or, you know, be a deal finder on those deals, hopefully with full disclosure to everybody. And uh, that would be a great way to get into the business. Yeah. And this is all about building an empire, right? You can build a commercial real estate empire and it can be multi-dimensional. It can be dynamic. And I believe we're all meant to be multi-dimensional. We are multi-dimensional. So don't sell yourself short. If you're listening to this podcast and you say, well, you know, maybe I can only do the long and winding road. Well, that may be appropriate for you. You may be able to stack on top of that in so many different ways, but I love that. This is about, you know, building not only a self-storage empire, but perhaps even a commercial real estate empire across the board in different asset classes, building a portfolio portfolio that supports yourself in good times and bad and challenging economic circumstances and great economic circumstances for the long haul, because this is not a get rich quick scheme. But Paul, you know, one of the things that I know that you're very fond of, you've been fond of over the years is investing in yourself, personal development. You even mentioned, obviously, finding a coach or mentor has been not only important for yourself, but something that you recommend for other people. But I would actually be curious, not necessarily directly on that path, but from a mindset perspective, I'm just curious, how has mindset supported your success, supported your growth? And why is it important for you to continue to invest in your mindset as you continue to grow? Yeah, that's a really great question. One of the things, uh, I'll just give you an example of what I've done. In fact, this will answer a question you, you didn't ask and nobody has asked, I don't think. And that would be, how could I be, how could I be a capital development wizard? And the reason that's important is not because of the second path of capital development, but everybody in business, well, not everybody, but almost every entrepreneur, investment company, syndication company, they need to learn to raise capital. The best way to raise capital, in my mind, is to be a bear standing in the waterfall rather than a spear fisherman. What I mean by that is if you are living up north in Alaska and you're out in the wild and you want to get salmon for dinner, you can be a spear fisherman and hope a fish swims by and hope you can get them. But if you're a bear in the waterfall, you're actually having the salmon jump almost into your mouth and you just snag them. And so being an educator, being a great educator, like having a podcast, writing a book, writing blog articles, uh, doing webinars, those type of things are a great way, not only to stay in the right mindset, but also to get people to get investors to come to you. 
we know Whitney Sewell. Whitney Sewell, you know, honestly didn't have a lot of real estate, if any, uh, when he got started. And he did a daily podcast. And that daily podcast has just catapulted him relatively quickly to a whole lot of success. I will tell you that one of the things I did for my mindset was actually start studying Warren Buffett. And I thought, man, this is really cool. I just see this parallel between what he said about stocks to what we believe about real estate. So I wrote a blog article and then another and then another. And I wrote eight blog articles for Bigger Pockets before I realized, wait a minute, this needs to be a book because I'm learning so, so much from studying him and studying other people like Charlie Munger, William Green, um, you know, Howard Marks, Ray Dalio. And so I think that the mindset for a real estate investor would be to look in areas outside of real estate to get wisdom that's transferable into real estate. And so, for example, Warren Buffett said, you know, hey, the tide is high. Everybody's enjoying their life. Every, you know, the rising tide has raised all boats since the great financial crisis. But someday that tide's going to go out. Then we'll see who's skinny dipping. That's an example of something that can apply to real estate. Another one is really successful people say no almost all the time. The very most successful people say no almost every single time. And so um, I, I butchered the way that quote went. But at any rate, you get the idea. There's so many applications to real estate and so that's what I've done to help with my mindset. I really, really like that. And I just, I think of that picture of the bear standing in the waterfall as, as such a great example. Instead of swimming around and, and you know, exerting ourselves unnecessarily, we can put ourselves to where, you know, the fish are swimming upstream and getting to where they are so they can jump right in our mouth. But, you know, I think about really, you know, that giving education to others, you're also receiving that education simultaneously. And obviously you're creating a community, which is super, super valuable. But one of the things that I think comes along with that is that you have to change your mind. You have to be willing to be humble. You have to be willing to say, you know what, what I believed before is no longer true. So I'd be curious, I mean, over the past couple of years, two, three years, is there anything substantial that you've learned as a part, as a result of this immersion in your own learning that you've changed your mind about? Is there anything that's, that comes to mind? Yeah. One thing I made a huge mistake on early on, I, I sold my company to a public firm in 1997. And in 1998, I thought I'm a full-time investor now. Well, I was really more of a full-time speculator. Speculation and investing are different. Investing is when your principal's generally safe and you've got a chance to make a return speculating is when your principal is not at all safe and you've got a chance to make a return, which is something I learned straight from Warren Buffett, who learned it from Benjamin Graham. And so um, that mindset of investing versus speculating has helped me a lot. Uh, I made lots of early investments that were really just nothing more than a speculation. I speculated that the county and state of Virginia would allow me to make a private road public when I bought a five acre expensive waterfront parcel, but they didn't. And so that was, uh, you know, that was a speculation because I bought that with a lot of debt. I turned out I was able to subdivide the uh, lots, the, the land into five one acre lots and make a large profit right in the middle of 2008. But that was a risk. 
Another time, I, a bunch of friends and I put 1.2 million or so to the bottom of a hole in the ground in North Dakota and expected 50 times as much oil to come out. And when nothing came out, we learned the lesson again of being too sure of ourselves, hubris, and speculation. Now, there is a way to speculate with commercial real estate. And sometimes that might look like overpaying and counting on inflation to fix it. Well, hope's not a good business strategy. Um, it could look like getting high uh, leverage, uh, uh, variable rate debt, and counting on you know this uh, the completion of this project. It's a great kind of debt to have for a developer, and you know about that. But to go on, you know, to get debt like that all the time and expect you know that with no significant increase in the property, it'll work out fine counting on inflation, counting on interest rates to stay low, that's, you know, that, that has an element of speculation. Uh, the first economist uh, to win the Nobel Peace Prize from the U.S. Um, said, speculation and investing are different. Uh, if you want to have fun, take $800 and go to Las Vegas. If you want to make money, invest wisely. Man, I love that. That's super good, man. Well, I want to transition into our rapid fire section, Paul. Uh, this has been an awesome conversation. It's called the rare air questionnaire. I'm actually going to switch it up for you because we've already done the rare air questionnaire one time. And so I want to switch it up just briefly while we've got just a couple minutes here before we wrap. So uh, rapid fire real quick, give us a sense of what does your morning routine look like, Paul? Man, I got up now this is rare, but I got up really early this morning and I just like to spend a lot of time in, you know, uh, prayer and meditation. And I really like to just really get my mindset right for the day. And so that is one thing uh, I do every morning. I actually journal. I've got this journal and man, when I'm writing, I feel like my mind is totally focused on where the pen's going. I, this is my theory. And I get ideas I never would have gotten before. I remember things. And so I like to journal about all kinds of things, including business. Um, after that, I hit the ground running. And then when I, when I start running, it's really, really hard to stop. And that's one of the things I have to really work on. I do have a treadmill desk and um, the treadmill desk. I mean, I walked, uh, I think, seven miles this morning before 9 a.m. Um, and I got a lot of work done at the same time. Give us your top personal development tip that you might suggest for folks who are looking to take their life and their business to the next level. Yeah, you know, it's sort of uh, similar to the mindset question, and that would be to really, really focus on um, uh, one thing. You know, if uh, Gary Keller and Jay Papazon in their wonderful book, The One Thing, said, chase two rabbits and you'll catch neither. And the whole book is about just focus. You know, Bill Gates became the wealthiest guy in the world by saying no to 10,000 distractions and focusing on one very narrow niche. And uh, that's one thing I would definitely say in answer to that question. Paul Moore. Thank you so much, man, again, for being on Elevate Part 2. I look forward to Part 3, continuing our friendship, our relationship, and learning together. Man, I always learn a lot when I speak with you, so I really appreciate you taking time. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Yeah, one thing I would just say is get a big why before you have the money or the time to really uh, delve into it. Because if you set a big goal 
of hopefully changing the world for the better or impacting society. I mean, ours is, you know, thwarting human trafficking and rescuing victims. Um, our goal with that kind of mindset, if we start early, is to actually, uh, when we do have the time and we do have the money, we'll already be well down the path. Rather than thinking, when I hit this plateau, I'll start doing stuff for my community, my family, for others. Often that never materializes, I've noticed. Yeah. What a great, great suggestion. Paul Moore, timeless wisdom as always. Paul, I look forward to seeing you next time. Where can the listeners find you and learn more about you, what you do? Also, by the way, we're going to put a link in the show notes as to where the listeners can find Storing Up Profits, uh, the newest book from Paul, as well as Wellings Capital. But Paul, where else can the listeners find you? Uh, you can go to Wellings Capital. That's W-E-L-L-I. I-N-G-S, wellingscapital.com. And if they want to add slash forward slash resources, we'll get them uh, some free uh, special reports about self-storage, mobile home park investing, and other resources to get involved in commercial real estate. Outstanding. Paul, until next time, my friend, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Tyler. It's been a real honor to be here again. Elevate Nation, what an awesome conversation with the wise and powerful Paul Moore, somebody who's been doing his deal in real estate for many, many years, and he's got so much experience and so much wisdom to back up his success. And I just admire him because he continues to share that. He continues to educate. And of course, that benefits the growth of his companies as he shared with us today and a great tip on if you wanna grow, it is about giving away that knowledge. And he's really living that. And um, we benefit from that. And I feel like we learn so much more and we put so much more in context today as a result of this conversation. So I'm just so grateful for that. I want to encourage you to identify what is your top one, two, or three takeaways or distinctions from this episode. And make sure that you share those with a friend, share those with someone else, and share this episode with someone else. Because of course, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, that's the fee for listening today. But ultimately, we learn more by sharing. We gain more by adding value to someone else. Because information is not power insight and application is a real power. So when you listen to this, what insights do you have? What application do you have to take massive action? That's what it really comes down to. I want to encourage you to re-listen to this show because you will learn twice as much. You will learn more distinctions. You will find new key insights, new application opportunities through listening to this podcast once again. And by the way, there's so much wisdom here that can be applied, of course, to growing and building a self-storage investment empire, but it can also be applied to any other asset class in real estate. It can be applied to multifamily, to office, to retail, to mobile home parks, you name it, industrial. I mean, this is really, really exciting. And it ultimately does come down to how are you educating yourself? How are you applying that wisdom? How are you changing? How are you evolving? How are you developing as a human being, as a person? And um, that's what it's all about. So I hope you enjoyed this. And I want to encourage you, most importantly, to take massive action. Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in today. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.